You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. It's always good to begin with a question, and you know your audience is alert and thinking. So what do Agatha Christie, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the Apostle Paul have in common? Yep, they're all, they're all writers, and they're all really mystery writers, with the exception, as we'll see, the mysteries that Paul talks about far exceed anything that Agatha Christie or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle could come close to uh, in Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look at this text from the perspective of three M words uh, that are worthy of examination as well as reflection on. Uh, but before we get to the very first M word, I want you to notice something by taking a closer look at how the chapter begins in verse 1 and then how verse 14 begins. So you'll see the first three words in verse 1 are, for this reason, I, Paul, and then go over to verse 14, and you'll notice that begins with the exact same Four words, for this reason, I. But the question here is, there's something in between these verses in verses 2 through 13. And what seems to happen is Paul is about ready to pray for the believers in Ephesus, which he gets to in verse 14. But as he's starting to pray for them, you have him, in a sense, digress. But, but this is not a meaningless digression but it's a digression based on his pastoral concern for them. And you see his pastoral concern if you go to verse 
13 of chapter 3, where his concern is that you not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So next week, we'll look at how does Paul pray for these believers? But consider what he begins to do here is he almost starts his prayer, abruptly changes gears because he knows they are very concerned and worried about his present imprisonment. And so before he can pray for them, he needs to back up and give them three, in a sense, words to consider. So with saying that, I would argue that just like Paul's original audience, we need to hear these same words as much as they needed to hear them. And the first M word, which you've already hinted at, is the word mystery. Paul's going to talk about mystery. And not just any mystery, but in particular the mystery of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so look at me at verse 2 and then verse 6. You notice in verse 2, it says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 3 says, That is the mystery. And then go down to verse 6, and once again, Paul repeats, This mystery is that through the gospel, and then we'll go on to explain that. But two times in this section, he uses the word mystery. Now, mystery is somewhat of a technical term. Uh, it refers to something that was once unknown, that has been made known by God. In, in other words, a very different use than when we think of Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes, a mystery is something that hopefully if you're an astute reader, uh, you can kind of put the pieces together and maybe by the end of it, you hopefully have figured it out. In scriptures, the word mystery is never used in that sense of it's something that can be found through human intellect or effort. And so it's very important as we think of this first M word, mystery, Paul's taking us to something that we could never have discovered on our own, that it would have to be something that God first reveals to us. And so this moves us now to the mystery of the gospel. And, and you notice in verse 2, which we just read, this mystery has been made known to us. Paul speaks about the administration of God's grace. Uh, some translations use a more literal term there, the stewardship of God's grace. And it's a word that describes how one would entrust the care of their household to a steward. It, it did not belong to them. They did not own it, but it was entrusted to their care. That's a good way for us to think about our salvation. It is in Christ, but it has been given to us. And I know we often speak of, well, it's by grace alone. But to also add to that fact, you did not earn it. And we need to think about that. We live in a world that is very much performance-oriented, performance-based, merit-based. That is not how salvation works. And so this mystery has been revealed by God's administration of grace. But looking a little further in verse 3, it says, This mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, we know Paul was a smart guy. I mean, given his sort of grooming to be a leading Pharisee, that, that he sat under one of the, the most famous Jewish teachers, Gamaliel, 
in his education. Uh, he was a brilliant guy. But yeah, even Paul realizes that does not explain how this mystery has come to me. It has come by revelation. It has been disclosed, opened up to me by God. Now, Paul could be referring to his actual conversion on the road uh, to Damascus there in Acts 9. He may be referring to uh, what happened after that when he spent time in Arabia. Uh, but clearly we can see Paul is saying, I did not attain this. And, and you want to always consider the environment in which this letter was written. Ephesus, a major city, a city that had philosophers and itinerant speakers coming in and out, who came with the purpose of impressing people with their, their wisdom, their rhetorical skills. And Paul's saying, that, that's, that's not the message that I'm bringing. In fact, we'll even say to another city, to Corinth, I'm, I'm not peddling something. I'm, I'm not like those others who are just kind of coming in and want to impress you with who they are. And then they're on to their next stop, their next tour but I'm bringing to you something that was revealed to me. Jump down to verse 5, and in looking at this mystery made known by God, Paul says, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. So Paul now brings us, in a sense, right up to date here. And says, this, this revelation made known by God, the gospel, has come to you through apostles and prophets. Probably here, not so much prophets in terms of the Old Testament he might be thinking of, but, but in the very early church. We know there were apostles and, and those who had the gift of prophecy. So Paul's saying, look at how God has communicated this message all through instruments that only have this knowledge because of the administration of God's grace. Now, I know if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? Most of us would say good news. Uh, but as we've discussed many different times, often today the gospel is confused with your response to the gospel. And so when Paul's talking about the mystery of the gospel, let's keep in mind the definition. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That, that's the gospel. Now, it does elicit, it calls for a response, but your response is not the gospel. The gospel is all about an indicative, what God has done for you and for me. But you notice in verse 6, Paul will sort of unfold now this mystery even further by talking about the content of that mystery. And in verse 6, he says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And to kind of think for a moment that this mystery is what he's talked about in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that now Jew and Gentile are made one in Christ. The dividing wall has been removed. We're all sinners. We all stand in need of salvation by grace. And Paul's very careful here to use three unusual terms to describe the results of this mystery. Like this good news that God has done for us through Christ. 
and it's in verse 6. He chooses these terms carefully. Notice the first one, we are heirs together. The next one is that we are members together. And the last is that we are sharers together. And we should think about what the change is that Jesus Christ makes, not just that Jew and Gentile now can become one in the Lord through Jesus Christ, but think of how the grace of Christ manifests in the mystery of the gospel brings us as individual Christians into unity together. I mean, if we were to go around and ask each one, you know, where were you from? What was your neighborhood like? I think we'd be surprised how very different a lot of our upbringings were, place of origin, family dynamics. And yet you're all sitting here, and in Christ, are we not one? Brothers and sisters. Not because we all look alike, or we all have the same interests and hobbies, but because of our union in Christ, we are now one in Christ. Again, consider the, the context and how deeply ingrained in Jewish thinking was the divide between Jew and Gentile. You can go back even farther and think of the divide between Jew and Samaritan. Just this deep-seated hostility uh, and, and approach as, as one, both sides were saying the other was unclean not right before God. So as Paul unfolds this first word, he speaks of the mystery uh, that we now can not just talk about, but we can say, we, we have had that mystery explained to us. In Christ, we have personally experienced what Paul's talking about. But there's a second M word that Paul wants to present to us and, and before I have you turn to that one or draw your attention to it, look with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 25 through 27. Because the word mystery, as I said, is used in Scripture to speak of what is made known by God. But Paul knows that in the day and age in the first century, you did have these quote-unquote mystery religions. Uh, these groups that would spring up that claimed sort of a secret spiritual knowledge. Uh, there's a, a secrecy to its rights, to your entrance into it. Uh, but in the midst of that environment, the book of Colossians is probably written partly to address maybe the early seeds of Gnosticism, one of these false teachings about matter being evil and anything spirit, quote-unquote spirit, is good. But listen to what he says in Colossians 1 and verses 25 through 27 where he speaks about the mystery of the gospel. He says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So compare that to what we know is circulating around the environment and city of Colossae, this pursuit of a secret wisdom, this false teaching of, uh, you know, matter being evil. Paul saying, you want to know a mystery? I'll tell you the greatest mystery 
And it's one that I didn't discover. No one can discover, but all can know this mystery because it's been revealed to us through Christ. And then just if you go to the next chapter in Colossians, Colossians 2, and verses 2 and 3, Paul comes back to this word. He says in verse 2, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think mystery is a pretty big issue for Paul. And not just for Paul, but he's saying for every believer to think about the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Jesus Christ. But that's the first M word that clearly comes out in Ephesians chapter 3. But let me draw your attention to the second M word, and that is ministry. Paul cannot talk about the mystery of the gospel without talking about the ministry, what God has called him to do. And so you notice verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 7, Paul says, just like he did in Colossians, I became a servant of this gospel. There's a reason Paul refers to it as this gospel, because he's just described it to us. The word gospel was circulating in Paul's culture, simply meant news. So if a king had a child, that was a gospel. It would be announced. It would be heralded. So Paul's very much aware people in his day and age use the term gospel. But he's talking about this gospel that's tied to the mystery of Jesus Christ. And Paul's very clear his response to that gospel is that I became a servant of this gospel. Now this word servant is the same word that's used in the Septuagint, like the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, can be used for a servant of a king, which would be appropriate here. Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Paul sees himself as a servant of that king. It is also the word in Greek that we derive our term deacon from. One who diligently labors, is, is a hard worker. Paul, in light of the mystery of the gospel, his indebtedness, to what God has made known, says my response is to be a servant of that gospel. And this should immediately remind you, how typically does Paul begin a lot of his letters? Well, either in one of two ways, both Ephesians and Philippians, he begins by saying, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, not, not a negative picture, but his will is consumed in the will of another. His other letters, he begins typically by saying he's an apostle, literally one who is sent. Both would imply a position of obedience, surrender to. So that's how Paul says, this is how I have heard that gospel, that mystery, and the impact it's had on me. But notice as well in Ephesians 3, the very end of verse 2, Paul talks about God's grace, but then says, that grace was given to me 
for you. What, what a reflection of a servant's attitude. And maybe that's helpful for us to think. The good news of what God has done for us in Christ wasn't just for you. It wasn't just for you to hear that and then be like, this is great. My sins are forgiven. I have new life. I feel like a new creation. I'm happy now. It was given to you for what? To be administered to others. For you to display God's grace to both those who don't know Christ as well as to your brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul's going to expand now on this second M word, ministry. And in verse 7, he refers to the fact that we are now empowered by this message of the gospel. Because notice he says in verse 7, not just I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Same word he used earlier in Ephesians, working the root for our word energy. Paul is like energized by this message. He, he's now passionate. He's driven by the mystery of Christ made known to him that he has been given to display that grace to others. And we've already seen that why in this section there's this digression because he's so concerned for those he's writing to. But not only are we empowered to ministry by this message, but notice he goes on in verses 8 through 10, we are now equipped to share the mystery of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Verses 8 through 10, he says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So taking each of those verses, pause to think for a minute. Paul says, I am the least of all. He'll say he's the chief of sinners. So if you're kind of thinking, I'm, I'm not Paul. I, I can't be sharing the gospel like this. Paul says, hey, the least of all. There's not one of us in Christ who is not equipped and able to share the message of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Depending on how we're growing, how long we know the Lord, maybe we can plunge into other matters. But, but once you become a Christian, there's no time period. You don't get a gap year or a 50-year gap year. We are to be witnesses. Paul says, look at me. I wasn't chosen because I was almost a Pharisee. I wasn't chosen because Gamaliel was once my teacher. I was chosen by grace, no different than any of others who are listening to this very letter. Notice he says that, that he has been called, certainly specifically, to preach to the Gentiles. He is an apostle to the Gentiles. God has given him that unique authority and position. So on one level, obviously we're not called to that same capacity, 
but we're called to the same work, to simply announce, proclaim to others the message of Jesus Christ. And the way Paul puts this is, his purpose is to tell others about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can't you do that? Just tell people, who is Christ? How has he changed your life? How is he working in your life? Paul loves to refer to God's incomprehensibility, that we just can't say enough, in a sense, in words, about who Jesus Christ is, about who God is, about the power that he has. Paul says, this is my ministry that I've been called to, but you know what? It's also your ministry that you've been called to. Notice he goes on in verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What a way of putting it, to simply bring it to light, to illuminate it. I've mentioned before that, that one of the highest compliments I, I can get from someone after I've preached or taught something is for them to simply say to me, that is so clear now. I, I just understand what you were talking about. Not that they're impressed with my words or they remember my stories or illustrations, but if they walk away saying, I, I see it now. Paul's saying, that's our task with this mystery that has been made known to us, make it plain to others by God's grace. You know, we can in different settings use rich, robust theological terms. We can talk about sanctification. We can speak about uh, the hypostatic union, all great theological terms. But please, if you're talking to someone else, don't use those terms. Bring it down to their level. Help make it plain and clear without compromising the mystery of the gospel, but everyday language in a way that they will leave saying, I, I heard what you said. Notice in verses 10 and 11, we move from being equipped to share this message to now that the bigger work of the church, that here's God's purpose, that the church would set forth the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means variegated, many-sided. Very similar to this thought of it's, it's unsearchable. We, we can't fully describe it, but yet we are told to speak of it. What a responsibility placed here on the church that we would proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, but it even gets better to make it known to rulers and authorities, and Paul says, in the heavenly realms. In other words, our, our message shouldn't just change people here on earth. It resounds in the heavens. It should shake the very foundations of hell. That's what Paul's saying. This ministry, this mystery is all about. And I often like to remind all of us, and it's good for me as a pastor to remember this, as, as we're worshiping, there's really thousands that we're joining with today. It's not just the number that is here right now. 
So if someone says to you, how was church tomorrow? Say to them, we had thousands that were there. That will generate a discussion. But we're, we're joining the hosts of heaven in worship. But also Paul says, you realize by proclaiming this message, you, you are shaking the gates of hell. You're speaking the truth. And we know who wins already. So we have Paul deal with the mystery. We have him deal with the ministry. But there's one M word that works here. And that is simply, after you've considered the mystery in the ministry, what is my response to this mystery and this challenge to serve? Because that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And in verses 12 and 13, Paul gives us one aspect of a response, and that is praise and worship. He says, in him and through, him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. What a privilege that now we can do exactly what Paul was doing. Praising God, worshiping God, realizing everything is in and through him by faith. And he mentions two of the greatest privilege. We have approach. We have, we have access into God's presence. Assuming Paul did not become a Christian till maybe late 20s, maybe 30, he knew what it was like in a Jewish temple, synagogue. He didn't have direct access. Everything was confined. It got narrower and narrower as you tried to approach closer and closer to God. Now he says, you know what? In, in Christ, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are, you have personal, direct, immediate access into God's presence. But he also speaks there of, we do this with freedom, with, with the greatest confidence and persuasion and boldness. What, what a tremendous blessing. A response that should fill our hearts, not just with an attitude of reverence and celebration when we meet corporately, but when you're in your privacy of your home, opening up your Bible, reading it, and praying for one another. As we said in verse 13, Paul's concern is that out of reflecting on this, they would be encouraged in their faith. They would be consumed with worry about Paul or has this an indication that God's plan is off track, uh, but they would see all of this as for the glory of God. But it brings up the question, is that my response to this mystery and this message? I know what Paul's response is. He says, I became a servant of this gospel. I received this grace, and I'm doing what I'm doing now for you. Let me leave you with these words from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here we have Paul's last words, at least from a biblical perspective, recorded for us. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul reflects once again on his response to this gospel. Beginning at verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, 
for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I want you to think about this phrase. He says, this is my gospel. Paul's not saying, I wrote it, I, I came up with this, but he's saying, this is so much a part of me that, that it's my gospel. It's not the gospel of somebody else. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which owns me, and I am all in on that gospel. So mysteries are, are great to read. They can be entertaining. But I think as you listen to this mystery and this ministry and consider your response, purpose is not to entertain, but deep reflection and change. Because it shouldn't be a mystery where you stand with the gospel, nor should it be a mystery to anyone who knows you as to where you stand when it comes to Jesus Christ. Can you say like Paul, this is, this is my gospel, no matter what. It's my gospel in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you for making known to us what was once unknown, but a part of your eternal plan. And so, Lord, may we live, may others conclude as they watch and listen to us this week, that we understand the mystery of the gospel, the ministry it calls us to, and that we are servants of that very mystery. In Jesus' name, amen.